Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. He gets the protection. He goes long and on his back to ice it is Marquez Valdez Scantling for the second straight week. He catches a long ball. He had two of them against the Bills. 32 yards tonight. Unbelievably aggressive call. Only Mahomes and Andy Reid. And they didn't blitz up the middle and they gave him enough time. Mitchell in for the first time tonight. Guess what? He's going to get it. Mitchell surging forward. Touchdown. He calls over the weekend from the AFC and NFC uh, Championship Games Room, CBS and Two pretty Fox. good play calls for uh, different reasons yeah. by Andy Reid first and then Kyle Shanahan. And t- to me, Sandy, and Sandy Clough on my left. I'm Sean Drotar. Danny Bailey is in the booth. Want to get your reaction today as well, of course. The number there, call or text is 303-831-1340. Uh, all weekend watching these, these games, and I went against my best instincts on Friday when I looked at the way the Ravens had played all year. And went away from what I did when I picked the Chiefs upsetting the Bills. Playoff experience matters. And if you've ever doubted it, I give you this weekend. I I think uh, there is truth in that. Uh, At least for this weekend, there was. Now, Houston uh, doing what Houston did to Cleveland. You know, Cleveland had guys with playoff experience all Mm -hmm. over the place. Houston had very little of that, if any of that. But for this weekend, this kind of pressure, uh, we saw really different games played in both cases from the first half to the second half. Mm -hmm. Kansas City, on its final nine drives yesterday, had three first downs and ten. I'm sorry, three points and ten first downs on its final nine drives. That game was won with defense. Mm-hmm. The big play of the game was the Sneed punch out oh, on Flowers yeah. that created the fumble. Oh, and by the way, after Sneed had been taunted by Flowers moments earlier, right? And Flowers got a 15 yard penalty, but they got down there. It looked like Flowers had scored the touchdown. That wouldn't have tied the game, but it would have made it 17 to 14 late, and certainly kept Baltimore in the game. That was the game changer, and that was a play made on defense. Andy Reid's call on the Mahomes pass that we heard to Marquez Valdez-Scantling was a brilliant call. And the interesting thing watching, Romo, who seems to be back on his game this year after taking a year or two off, <laughs> um, it, it, he called for the blitz. The, the, the two inside backers, he had them coming and they backed off. 
which turns out to have been a mistake, and maybe Reed or Mahomes. One of them seemed to <laughs> sense read it, it right. right, and they floated the pass down with very little pressure to uh, Valdez Scantling, and that of course cinched it because Kansas City was able to uh, basically go into victory formation uh, from there. But the other game, San Francisco-Detroit, went from domination by one team to domination Mm -hmm. by the other from half to half. Shocking. Almost as if they changed uniforms at halftime. 24-7, Detroit in the first half, 27-7, San Francisco in the second. And and 27 unanswered points, too. Uh, Detroit scored first and Detroit scored last, and San Francisco scored a lot in the third quarter and a little bit in the fourth. And for a second straight week, Brock Purdy was lousy uh, for a half, in this case for three quarters against Green Bay, and he came back in the final drive against Green Bay and yesterday in the second half with unbelievable numbers. And I never thought I'd say this. I did like San Francisco to win. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be high scoring, and it was. The difference is Purdy's legs, as yes. much as it oh, yes. was his arm. Five carries for forty-eight in the yards. Second yeah, opportunistic running, and and let's face it, a great great plays, a little bit of luck. Fifty-one of Brock, Brock Purdy's yards and fifty-one of Brandon Ayuk's yards came off of a to call it a circus catch. I think is a little unfair. A, a remarkable that, that play set of coincidences in which it could have been a pick, bounced off the you know man hits the ground, it bounces yeah, up off his body. Strong. And Ayuk ends up catching it in midair. But a flag was thrown. It was defensive pass interference, we thought. But mm-hmm. they never called it. They decided, they decided they, not they to call it. They never declined. The, well, then it either was interference or it wasn't. They threw the flag, and then it was like they never threw the flag. Yeah. They never explained kind of it. And the announcers were understandably excited, confused yeah. as I was. was excited about the play. Well, the replays yeah, over and over but again. they never explained, and I would would have thought one of them, uh, either Burkhardt or Olsen would have said, wait a minute, there was a flag. What happened to the flag? What if he doesn't catch it? Right. Is this one of those NBA style of uh, officiating moves where if the pass is caught, there's no penalty, but if the pass falls incomplete, it's defensive pass interference? Hmm. Just like in the NBA, if the shot goes in, there's no foul. Yeah. If the shot misses, Two shots. Maybe so. I mean, that's, and again, the, the, look, in, in the NFL, the only major sports league in which the officiating is, in which the so officiating is part-time And it employees. wasn't terrible yesterday. Right. But it's just stuff like that. And it doesn't make sense. Happens all the time. And these damn all-star crews that they put together for these But don't have rhythm teams, with each other. They, yeah. they have never worked together before. And isn't officiating, this is the NFL buzzword of the month, maybe for 2024, collaborative. Every new coach that's been hired has been hired, they say officially, because of collaboration. Officiating. They talk about, oh, collaboration is the most important part. Crews that will work together and collaboration. And then they put all-star crews out there for the playoff games. Right. Obviously, the Super Bowl. Yes. All-star crews. People who have never worked together. And, you know, on the coaching front, the two lone rangers or perceived the two lone rangers out there and so far at least not hired bill belichick and mike vrabel mm-hmm. fair point lone rangers no collaboration dictators that's the, the style that they bring and the style that is increasingly being rejected and you know what 
more African-American, more minority coaches are getting hired, mm -hmm. head coaches are getting hired, because you know what? They tend to be more collaborative. And then the all-powerful, privileged yes, white the, coach. the power structure is changing. And uh, the the nature of, you know, you're getting a lot of guys that played more recently as well. Exactly. And, and that matters. And players are talking about that. Right. As in Detroit, where they talk about almost with reverence Aaron Glenn because mm -hmm. he was not only a former player, he's a very good former player, and how much credibility that gives him with Detroit. And not defense. so far away from playing his playing days that the guys that are working for him didn't see him while they were growing up and, and that's part of the equation too interesting for the you know the broncos side well they have one of those dictatorial types they they went and got they do they went and they got do. that type so we'll and see that's how that works. why maybe sean payton didn't get any other coaching offers last, last, year, last year except for the one he got from the Broncos. that may be going the way of the dodo but it won't be for the broncos anytime soon i can tell you already by the way one of the things that will also be going in the way of the dodo is the the uh Idea where if you fumble out of the end zone, it's a turnover in the beginning of the 20 field of the team. This will be the last year we see that. That's Think going. So? Oh yeah, that's going away. The NFL's got that's going away. They're they're not. Uh, it, it, I think for fans it seems too punitive. That obviously if the exact same thing I happens at that. one spot yeah. on the field. It's probably there's an opportunity punitive. to return it. I, I I think that's the case. This is a league that likes it scoring. This is a yeah. league that likes it. You know, it can be. Uh, you can go back to the old Raiders Holy Roller, which is why the rule is the way it is. Right. The exactly. fumble ruski, whatever you want to call it. And that's why this Well, that wasn't fumble ruski. Right. That fumble wasn't ruski intentional. Was the right. But that, Holy that Roller was, was intentional. The and, Holy Roller was not intentional, but it worked out for the Raiders. And uh, that's the reason we have the rule. And then they changed the rule, which is the rule was stupid. Right. You make it so you can't, you've tried to right. kill off that play. But I think when you see now two playoff games in a short span of time actually be decided in part by that call i i think the nfl will, who is and i give the well, nfl tons of credit for this kansas city still won though kansas city did win yeah uh, but you have confusion there with fans there's frustration i oh, I, I, I just think I for fans i do understand why the challenge is if you were to fumble this anywhere else in the field it's different but if you fumble it here right. the other team automatically yeah. gets it yeah. and it's fans look at it and they're totally right. confused i think that rule is gone the nfl will give them credit for the fact that the nfl is never afraid never afraid of looking at a rule no matter how long it's been around and go, you know what? Fans don't really like that anymore. Let's just ditch it. I mean, the NFL does that all the time. I, I guess you, you sound like you know more about it than I do. It yeah. makes sense to me. I agree with you. It makes sense. I, I think, think it's too punitive. I think you will be seeing the last game in which that's the rule in two weeks. I really do. And I, I think that, in, that I'm, I feel as confident about that as anything coming up for the okay. NFL's offseason. Right. But when you look at the this, this matchup, this feels to me Especially after the Chiefs, you know they're they're the champs. Anybody say, you know, what's the old what's the old thing we do on sports radio? You want to be the champ, you got to beat the champs. Right. Well, Buffalo Bills team had the home advantage on it. They couldn't beat the champs. The Baltimore Ravens, who looked like the best team in the NFL, knocked off these 49ers in San Francisco. Had a chance to take them out at home, but they couldn't do it. So I have no problem looking at the Kansas City Chiefs and looking at the San Francisco 49ers and saying, we clearly have the best two teams in the league. And I think that's a terrific, I mean, from a viewership perspective, I don't know how you can beat this game. Can't, can't, oh, I, I agree. <laughs> the star and power I, is I know, ridiculous. I know people are tired of uh, the Chiefs and even a little bit tired of the 49ers because the 49ers have Was gotten it? over the last five years almost as far as the Chiefs have gotten in the playoffs pretty much year after year. Okay, right. I, I, I understand that kind of fatigue. But uh, 
the the two best teams won yesterday, and particularly with respect to Kansas City, if there's any team you trust, at least in the postseason, regular season, they take Sundays off. They do. We saw them do that here in Denver when half the team was they sick do. and injured and so on. They took the day off. Mm-hmm. They beat the Broncos and, 16 and times in a row, and they took the day. The Broncos made them, and Sean Payton made the mistake of thinking that they had a, some monumental achievement when they took a, well, they beat a Chiefs team that didn't actually care much about this that, game. That, it's, it, to Sean Payton, history before he arrived didn't matter until it did. Right, so now all of a sudden, you know. Until it did. A lot. And then it mattered a lot. I I was the coach when the Broncos broke their 16 But the, game the Niners streak. have been in the last three NFC team. championships. They've been in four of the last <laughs> five. Uh, the Chiefs have been in, and I'm, this is, I mean, it seems unreal. For the crazy. last six Super Bowls. The, the Chiefs have been in six consecutive AFC Championship games. Patrick Mahomes yeah. has never not played You're in one. Right, right. I no, mean, that's think right. about that. That's right. You know, and and they, they've lost. The, the funny thing is, the two championship games they lost were in Kansas City, and I think they should have won both <laughs> Both of those games. They probably too. should. I mean, that was uh, the Bengals upset in, yes. in 2021. And they were way ahead. They were way and, uh, ahead. And the Patriots toppled them right. uh, yeah, right. uh, in and, 2018. And probably got an offside call late in the game that was not really. Uh, uh, was it offside or rough in a passer? I can't I can't forget. There were two squirrely calls at the yeah, end. Yeah, there were. Championship games. And I don't, I don't remember, remember which that. one was totally bogus. But. The two winning teams were outgained yesterday. Did you mm-hmm. notice that? I One did. more argument. Pay no attention to yards. Okay? They don't matter. Uh, Kansas City was outgained by Baltimore, 442 to 413. And San Francisco was outgained by Detroit. And it didn't mean anything in the Kansas City-Baltimore game. Right. Because Kansas City was ahead right from the start. Never trailed. Never tied except when it was zero zero and San Francisco came back in the second half and wiped out a Detroit first half that was as dominant a half as I've seen one obviously good it team really, play really against was. another obviously really good was. team on on the other's home field no less I, I mean the 49er I mean Fred Warner went from being maybe the defensive goat of the week in the first half to the arguably uh, Sneed aside, I think the defensive player of the week mm-hmm. in the second half, right. he was great in the second half. He, he, he had, he ended up with 13, 13 tackles. tackles, nine it of them solo. Like, right. Well, it seemed like all those solo tackles came in the second half. Cause I sure didn't see him doing much except getting beat in the first half. He's going sideline to sideline. He's all over the field. You can't miss him from play to play. He, he seemed to be in on every single play. And Oh, by the way, our, uh, Statement about Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. If you pressure him, you win. If you don't, you lose. They didn't in the first half, and they got dissected. He was 0 for 8 under pressure right. yesterday. Right. As in a goose egg. Got he to did get not to him. complete a single pass, including one of those fourth down plays, where they did pressure him. When you get to the pass completions, that's what I think is interesting, because you're right. You look at yards, they don't mean that much. But one of the stats that I, I noticed this weekend, and I've thought about this a lot this year when thinking about the way that, that Russell Wilson and the Broncos had their quarterbacking go. More and more when you talk, and it's always been important to have rhythm with your top receivers. But now when you're seeing the defenses 
back off and make sure you don't have big over-the-top plays. That timing and that understanding is even more important. And just look look at this, for example. We'll go to that. We'll work backwards. Go to the 49ers game. Sam Laporta had a great game for the Lions. Nine for 97. He was great. He was. But nine catches on 13 targets. That's pretty good. Amon Ross St. Brown, seven catches on 11 targets. Pretty good. Pretty Nothing good. wrong with pretty that. Good. But look at the other side. Now, Brandon Ayuk, weird. And they didn't. They, Purdy and Ayuk weren't in sync last week either. A little bit something to keep an eye on. But Christian McCaffrey, four for five. George Kittle, two for three. Debo Samuel, eight for nine. The, you don't the guys, think his the, the money men that the quarterback something? know they can count on matters. And that was even more on display earlier. Zay Flowers for Baltimore, five for eight. That's fine. Uh, Justice Hill, four for seven. Not very good. Odell Beckham, three for six. Aguilar, one for three. But look at the Chiefs. Look at and Kelsey. I will work my way back up. Kelsey and Rice. Pache- Pacheco, four for four. Yeah. Valdez Scantling, two for two. Rice, eight for nine. Yep. Kelsey, 11 for 11 for yep. 116 and a touchdown. Kelsey, Rice, Scantling, Valdez Scantling, and Pacheco. The Chiefs, when Mahomes threw to one of those four guys, missed one yeah. connection. Isn't that amazing? One. You will lose that game almost every... You could get rid of all the other stats. Give me those stats. I'll probably tell you you won the game with success about 95% of the time. Because now the defenses are sagging off and you're talking about efficiency with your guys. That really matters. And to, to bring it back for the to the Broncos for a moment, that's one of the things to keep an eye on as they watch for quarterbacks in this offseason. Russell Wilson this year could not get any sort of rhythm with Jerry Judy. He could with Cortland Sutton, and they had success there. They had no tight ends to speak of to work with, Especially although in the red zone. Troutman and Wilson actually did have a bit of success. But what Sean Payton wants, and this may not necessarily be the wrong approach, is he'd like a lot of that Drew Brees style or maybe even this. Okay, you know what? Seven yards to this guy, make sure you hit him. Six yards to this guy, make sure you hit him. 11 yards to this guy, make sure you hit him. High percentage completions to the guys that catch him. Because I think if you look at a team's top two receivers, their top running back, and a tight end, and you look at the quarterback's completion percentage to those four players, I think in today's NFL, that can be the determining factor of whether you win or lose because it moves the sticks and it moves the clock. And it rests a defense, which allowed Kansas City, by the way, to hold Baltimore to three points in three quarters. So even when Baltimore's terrific defense did what we thought would happen and they'd give the Chiefs problems, the Chiefs were actually okay with that because their defense did what they did against Buffalo in the second half of that game. They shut the door. Yeah. Well, that's the difference with the Chiefs. They have a shutdown defense. And you're reminded that the coordinator, Steve Spagnola, did not work out as a head coach. But over the last 15 to 20 years in the NFL, he's out of the old Jim Johnson. He's a hyper-aggressive. He's bringing heat. But I'm saying that's that's from Jim Johnson, Mm -hmm. Andy Reid's old coordinator with the, the late Jim Johnson with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and Spagnola is out of that school. And Spagnola has been around Andy Reid a lot, especially in Kansas City, right? He's authored two defensive game plan masterpieces in the Super Bowl, in which the Giants upset the 18 and 0 New England Patriots. 
and yesterday against the presumptive MVP of the NFL this year, Lamar Jackson. Now, Bill Belichick's game plan for uh, the Super Bowl Giants over the Bills that followed the 1990 season is in the Hall of Fame. That's how good that game plan was. I'm wondering if Steve Spagnuolo, who has been a part of a couple of championship teams now with the Kansas City Chiefs and was a part of the Giants championship team in 07, if he gets into the Hall of Fame for some of his great big game defensive game plans, because he had one yesterday. Uh, (laughs) Lamar Jackson had a 95.9 QBR on intermediate throws in 2023. You know how many passes he completed between 11 Mm. and 20 yards yesterday? His strength, Baltimore's strength, one. Phenomenal performances. That is the Super Bowl. We'll talk more about this with Fox 31's Aaron Anderson in just a bit. But you talk about how the, the Chiefs know how good they are. And we're able to kind of take some games off here and there. Well, there's a team in town that has done that from time to time as well. They didn't over the weekend. And they won't have a chance to this week. We'll talk about the Denver Nuggets who did not get their matchup with Joel Embiid, but did get the result they wanted next to Molly Sports. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Started with the bench unit. Start the fourth, we're down two. And the, I, I think it was uh, Jamal, Reggie, CB, Peyton, DJ. We start off on a 10-4 to four run, take the lead back. And the starters came in and did enough to get the win. But... Um, coming off of a really long road trip, the first game at home is usually the hardest game, especially when it's a matinee special like today. So wasn't pretty, not satisfied with it, but it sure beats uh, a loss. Michael Malone, of course, talking after the game in which Saturday the Nuggets knocked off the uh, shorthanded 76ers, 111-105. to uh, Shorthanded especially because once again for the fourth consecutive year, Joel Embiid does not play in Denver against the Nuggets. They decided essentially last minute that Embiid wasn't going to play to the point that Malone also uh, in his press conference pointed out, and correctly so, that it's sort of frowned upon to have those very late scratches you're supposed to report so people can uh, expect, and the NBA's indicated that they would investigate those sort of things. Uh, I, I would say there's, there's this, and Malone did indicate, I'm sure he is hurt, referring to Embiid, but it's really tough on us preparing for them. And then all of a sudden, last minute, he's out. But we have to do a better job of handling those situations. I will say that the NBA's change, though, is interesting. Embiid can only miss 
five more games and win the MVP. Because right. of the new rule, you have to play 65 or more. And, and I do think in that case, I, I'm kind of with Malone. It's unfortunate it was a late scratch, but we know that that stuff's important to Joel Embiid. He said it. And he's had injury problems and occasional games where he has to sit out. I think what happened is the Sixers also were going to be shorthanded anyway, right? Because we knew they were missing. Uh, they were they were going to miss some other players. They were missing Tobias Harris. Uh, they didn't have Tyrese Maxey. And I think, quite frankly, when they kind of got around to shoot around, if Embiid just even had a tummy ache, they might just say, hey, you know what? Let's just well, let's just table I, this I, one. I, I, I don't ascribe any uh, conspiratorial motives uh, here. I just don't know why he wasn't listed on the injury well, he report. He should have just said he was on the injury report and, and, and game time decision. That's it. I believe it wasn't his decision. I believe he wanted to play. I believe the medical people told him that's not a good idea and we're, decla- we're not clearing you to play. He participated in the warm-ups. Maybe he expected to play. Maybe he didn't. Uh, it was clear that he was flexing the knee and testing it in the warm-ups. I believe all of that. I don't think Nick Nurse was in on it uh, at all. Uh, and, and good for Malone in not going all... His anger was not at all at Embiid. It was more that no, no, don't, no, don't no, late scratch all, a guy. All conspiracy theories and all, uh, you know, and, and the crowd is perfectly... Uh, they don't know what's going on. They're right. at the game. They don't hear that the medical people didn't get. So the crowd is perfectly entitled oh, yeah. to say, where is he? Uh, Spent a lot of money to watch you know, the, the and, past and two I MVPs play. Keeler wrote a column in the Post about this, and, I, you know, you feel terrible for people who drove a long way, who were Philadelphia fans, Embiid fans, and especially the one uh, little kid that Keeler wrote about who, who had dreamed of getting to see Embiid play. And play in person. And Embiid, to his discredit, ignored the kid pregame, along with a lot of other Philadelphia people. One, he knew he wasn't playing, and he could have easily signed a few autographs, and he ignored it. It just blew him off entirely. But the other part of it, if the fans get on him it's perfectly and he seemed to accept that he acknowledged the guy they wasn't offended by it and he shouldn't have been offended by it um but i'll tell you what for, for anybody anybody who wants a refund for his not playing and and the announcement being made last minute that he wasn't going to play they ought to get a refund from the philadelphia 76ers and I, we keep hearing, we heard a lot about this man in the ownership sweepstakes involving the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Josh Harris has a class that I would suppose he has. He sees to it that this family has flown to Philadelphia and gets to see him be play in person. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Fly it him a, in. Fly him in. The, the give him a, that, one, give him a yeah. refund. One, <laughs> give him a refund. And two, fly him in. And Embiid ought to insist on that, too. And if Philadelphia has a PR staff, the last time I looked, oh, they do. I'm sure Josh Harris has PR people. I would imagine. Right. Well, you see this story. It's in the post. Right. On Sunday. Yeah, they flew, they flew from Concord, California. Yes. Yes. They flew his nephew in and drove from Tacoma. Philadelphia. You fly him yeah. in. Eight-year-old you kid. You give him a limo to the game. <laughs> Any game of his choosing. 
You give him a courtside seat along with his family, his father and anybody else, and you arrange slash insist on Embiid spending time with this kid after blowing him off the other day. And I want to say one one other thing about Embiid, and it's neither here nor there, but I find it fascinating. There is no school, no basketball school in America that reveres former players more than the University of Kansas does. That's a good point. Years, and I mean decades, probably far too long, after Wilt Chamberlain played there and felt that he had not been appreciated, had been disrespected by the university, thankfully, about a year before Wilt passed away, they invited him back. And he received a hero's welcome. I mean, as well he should. He was so moved by it that he all but broke down in speaking to the assembled capacity crowd, as it always is, at Allen Fieldhouse. Somehow I get the feeling that Joel Embiid will never get that same kind of treatment. He seems to be the one former Kansas player who is despised by his former teammates, by his former head coach, Bill Self, by the Kansas basketball community, and it isn't because he got hurt and hardly played any basketball at Kansas. Right? Heck, he was hurt through the first two and parts of a third year with the 76ers mm-hmm. before yeah, he only played, played 28 games for the Jayhawks in total, right? But he's, he's not well thought of, and I've always found this strange. I've been going to Kansas games for almost 15 years now. Every other great star, anybody who has any association really with Kansas basketball, I mean, Paul Pierce is at games. I see him sure. at games all the time. He gets ovations. And he, I mean, anybody who played there with any distinction is revered with one exception, and Embiid is that exception. Embiid is that exception. The last time he played in Denver was just saying, November 8th, 2019. I remember the game. I remember attending the game. He played very well. Um, I think he dodged Jokic a few times. I don't think that's what happened here, but Malone is exactly right. The league ought to investigate, and their medical staff ought to explain why they didn't insist that he be on the injury report. Right. And if they did insist, and 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 the 76ers... Like, like Maxie and Harris didn't, were. Didn't we knew they right. weren't going to play on Friday. And if the doctors did insist and said, hey, he's got some knee issues, he needs to be on the report, whether he plays or not, he needs to be on the report. If they did insist and the 76ers didn't do it, the 76ers ought to be fined millions of dollars. And I would take away a draft pick that might be a little severe, but I'd take away a draft pick too. But they'd be fined millions of dollars unless they make amends. The 
Game by the Nuggets, obviously, they ended up winning it. Uh, Paul Reed, by the way, for the Sixers was just tremendous. Paul Reed put up numbers that even Embiid would have been proud of. 30 points, 13 rebounds in uh, 42 minutes. He was terrific, of course. Uh, the, the Nuggets with their, as you would imagine, with their starters had a had a pretty nice day, top to bottom. Aaron Gordon with 18, Michael Porter Jr. with with 20 on the night and 18. Murray with 23 points, seven assists. Uh, Jokic in that game, 26 points, 16 boards, seven assists, two steals. Oh, hum. Uh, yeah, like, what do you do? After the game, he was asked specifically about the quote-unquote, and I put those in finger quotes because Jokic doesn't obviously consider it such, rivalry with Embiid. I mean, to be honest, media be, uh, made the rivalry. I think I don't, I don't have nothing against him, and I think he's a great player. Like I said it, uh, in the interview, even if you're a basketball, soccer, horse racing fan, whatever, Denver Nuggets fan, Philadelphia fan, whoever, like enemies, whatever, I think you need to respect what he's doing, and uh, uh, the, he's putting the history right now in, in, in front of our, our, our eyes, and uh, he's, making a, uh, he's making it look so easy. Do you view any other players as a rival? No, I think I'm playing against the team, not not the personal, not the person, not the player in front of. So I'm playing against the team. Uh, he's right as usual, classy and, as always, as and, well. You know, reflecting some of that history before our eyes, and the way he phrased it is not the way everybody would phrase it. But sometimes when English is your second language you phrase things in a certain way that make you sit up and take notice and say that's a beautiful thing it is he's history before our eyes and, and bead right now is holding he's right about that average he is right about six points there is no denying Embiid's talent i think he's quirky and maybe he isn't anything more than quirky uh that's what i think I, it is i, I think I, it's just i don't know uh jokic though uh, I mean, there isn't any question that Jokic is going to play in a sufficient number of games to be eligible for these awards. Barring something, uh, uh, it yeah. is not clear that Embiid will. No, and, and to me, uh, the game over the weekend, notwithstanding, I can't explain Detroit blowing out Oklahoma City the way it did the other day. But I'm perfectly comfortable at this point with Shea Gilgis Alexander being the mid season MVP favorite in the NBA, if that's the case. And if the it would be Embiid, if not for the fact that he's missed so many games already and might not play in sixty five. It's it's hard to it's actually sort of hard to believe he'll make it. And uh, that that part is interesting. But you know, the Nuggets do I get the win. Things are going along uh, again fine. But yeah, know, there's a little bit of sleepwalking. There with is. The Nuggets. But, we understand. But it's kind that. of what you, you mentioned but, in the in the opening segment when we were talking about the Chiefs. You're the defending champs. You know that you're good enough that you're gonna you're gonna find yourself when you really put the pedal to the metal. And by the way, they at the moment right now are a half game behind the Clippers. They are in fourth. They're in fourth. Okay. Let me ask you the question mm-hmm. before we break. You can answer it either right now or after the break. All right. The Nuggets are fourth right now. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma City is in first place right now. Percentage, yep. Right? Yep. Okay. Percentage points in the Minnesota, yep. If Denver were playing Oklahoma City in the second round and Oklahoma City had home court advantage, who would you pick? I'd still pick the Nuggets, but I wouldn't do it comfortably. I would do it comfortably. And I love Oklahoma City. I would You do. do. And, and, and I, think, I don't think home court means a damn thing. And that's where the Nuggets, I think, in at this point. In that particular case. And again, it's look the, it's look the, at the games they played this year. Yeah. 
Denver won in a it's blowout. The similarities, right? In it's Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City won two games. One team's playoff tested. One team's battle tested. One team knows what they're doing Get in those back situations. Your point about experience. The same thing. That experience really does matter. And for the Nuggets, they have it. Of course, we'll talk more about them as well later in the program. They take on the Bucks tonight. If we go from one MVP candidate, would have been to another MVP candidate, former MVP as well. This is a big week for the Nuggets. The Colorado Avalanche have hit the all-star break. No Avs games for a little while, which isn't the worst thing in the world for a team that even though they were playing rather well, but they guess where they, but uh, here they are. They do have a couple games in and on Winnipeg. I get that, but here they are with 67 points at the break atop the Central Division. And when they come back, they'll have a 39-year-old winger whose father I remember very well from the days of my youth killing my New York Rangers <laughs> in a very famous playoff goal. One of the most famous playoff goals ever scored. We I think will in the history of the NHL. about the uh, avalanche. Zach Parise will do that next on Valley Sports. Bring This is Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche are at the all-star break. They went into that break with a good win over the LA Kings, a 5-1 victory. They've won three in a row going into that break, and they've done it with big goal number seven against Philly, six against Washington, five against Los Angeles. They'll get back at it. Uh, soon enough, it won't be very long, it'll be about a week, it'll be a week from today, they'll be back at it after the All-Star break, but uh, a move was to be uh, to be made as well, uh, but we'll check in and it, we'll hear it from the lion's mouth, because after that game against uh, Los Angeles, uh, Kitty Goss from Altitude TV had an opportunity to talk to Kale McCarr about where he sees his Avalanche team. Just to end this stretch and be able to head into the All-Star break on a high note, especially the way you guys have been playing, not just with wins, but good, consistent games. What does that mean to this team? Yeah, I think we string a few here um, together, which is great, and um, gives us some confidence going into the break. I think that was our main goal is um, coming up this past road trip is how we get a couple home games. So um, for us, we felt like we did that. There lapses at times in both games, but um, I felt like we stayed on top of uh, L.A. tonight and overall a good game. Georgiev continuing to play strong, but from a defensive side of things, it does feel like this team has been committed to really helping him and supporting him in front of the net. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've done a really good, I mean, George has been playing well lately, but I think we've done a good job of minimizing more grade-A chances. He's making some really big saves, but I think for us, um, we're starting to kind of find our group a little bit more, whether it's more communication in the D zone. So, um, like I said, just more growing going into the break and uh, give some guys some confidence. Last one I have to ask you. Bo Byram earlier today saying you, you were going to give everyone 100K on the decor. Uh, not true? Yeah, I don't. Well, yeah, that's definitely not true. It's a little delusional. I don't know if he knows how money works, but half of that would go to taxes anyway. So I'd probably be in debt anyway after, uh, after that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't anticipate winning, so I don't have. To, I feel like I'm not going to have to worry about that issue. Well, we wish you luck. Thanks, Kale. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Kale McCarr's <laughs> talking about the skills contest yeah. that will happen, in which the it's a it's kind of a, a convoluted thing, but should be really entertaining. And the winner will get a uh, million dollars. And Byram, I think, sort of a uh, ribbing a little bit, but maybe I mean maybe Kale meant the candy bar. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Everyone gets 
gets a candy bar. If he ends up winning it, that might work out. But but look at this in the last in the last five games. And of course, they did drop that game to Boston in Boston. Boston, by the way, tied with Vancouver for the most points in the entire right. NHL. So losing to Boston on the road at the tail end of a road trip, not a shame. But their last four wins, all in regulation, three goal win over Ottawa, three goal win over the Flyers in Philly, th- uh, four goal win over the Caps, four goal win over the Kings. This is an Avs team that appears to now be rounding into form. And even when they are giving up some of the goals, like they did in Philly and Ottawa, where they gave up four in each of those, they scored seven. So the, to my mind, it's a couple things, Sandy. One is your stars, obviously, McKinnon and Rantanen and McCarr are just playing sublime hockey. It is ridiculous what, what uh, Nathan McKinnon is doing right now. But it is that line that uh, our pal Connor McGee coined the Roaring Twenties because they left jerseys in their twenties. That what used to be the third line of Logan O'Connor and Miles Wood and Ross Colton. They are now playing on the second line, but they're playing like second liners. Yeah. And when Nachushkin comes back, now all of a sudden you have a third line that's defensively responsible. That's really good. And as you pointed out before the break. They added, and yes, he's 39 years old, but lest you think that Zach Parise is over the hill, last year he scored 21 goals. And played in 82 games, which is which good done news for the, for the Avalanche. Years. Last two years yes. he played 82. Yes, and uh, virtually no Avalanche player has played in 82 games. <laughs> he still has two seasons. I, I don't know if there's the, any. The Avs add Who's Zach Parise for the rest of the year, of course. So uh, he, he is a young 39. Yeah, you could think of him as a foil for the Avs with the Wild all those years, but they, br- they well, bring him in after two years with the true. Islanders. That's true. And I remember his father with the Islanders scoring an overtime goal against the Rangers in the first round of the 1975 playoffs. And say, well, why is that such a big deal? It's the first time that an original six team had lost in the playoffs to an expansion team. And the Islander-Ranger rivalry began right then and there, and it continues to this day. So now the the abs add Parise, who is, uh, we're talking about a guy with a, a tremendous, tremendous ba- backstory, the career, all of it, 879 career points, 429 of them goals over the course of his career, plus 83. And again, in those last two years with the Islanders, Played 164 out of a possible 164 games, 36 goals, 33 assists for 69 points and a plus five, averaging almost 16 minutes a game. So, as you pointed out, if there's such a thing as a young 39, it's Zach Parise. And now you have another left winger that you can mix and match. And part of the reason, if you remember him all those years, tormenting the Avalanche as a member of the Wild, is because he's a two-way player. Yes. Yes, he play he plays uh, the two hundred foot game. Um, he can get you the timely goal. Um, I thought Bednar nailed it when he said he's similar around a team to Cogliano. Maybe a slightly better offensive yeah, a, version, offense, better offensive player of for sure. Cogliano. He has the same qualities. For sure. uh, people are drawn to him. He's a good guy. He plays all three zones, and he doesn't care about ice time. Uh, you know, if he doesn't get sixteen minutes here, if it's more like ten to twelve, let's say, he's on a fourth line. It, 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 he's a guy who can 
do a lot of things still in a competent, responsible manner. Yeah, and shouldn't he's have a not problem a integrating star, into the team either. But, you know, he's a guy who will never complain. He's been a great star. He's been a very good player. He's at the end of his career, and he's joining a Stanley Cup contender, which the Islanders were not in the last couple of years. And they certainly weren't this year. He was a free agent. He hadn't been signed by anybody. And I think that's smart managing by Chris McFarlane to bring in Zach Parise. Um, I imagine Joe Sackick might have had something to do with it because Joe Sackick for many years played against Zach Parise yeah. and played against him in a couple of series in the playoffs that I remember very well and that Joe Sackick remembers too. Parise in the top 100 all-time goal scorers in this league. And when you look at the playoff numbers, 80 career points in 111 postseason games, 37 goals. When you're when you're getting into the, you know, the uh, your eight-tenths of a point per game in the postseason, you're a very good late-season performer. And uh, you're, you're a clutch performer because there's nothing harder than – scoring goals and yes, by extension, accumulating points in the playoffs, you're playing better teams. And yet he rises to the occasion. And if he can give them basically what Cogliano was given them. Yeah. And he's durable and uh, as, as Cogliano has been basically I think, durable. I think he's going to chip in goals here. I really do. I, I, I love the move. It comes at no cost. No. Basically, league minimum. I mean, in rest, many respects, rest of the season, he's playing. He's making the league minimum. He's on the Jonathan Duran contract right. program, well under a million dollars to get Zach Parise. It's a great addition, and it also streamlines the Avalanche's plans because we we talked about it last week. We talked about the Avalanche have two needs, right? And we we talked about second line center. Although you've been pretty consistent, even though at times. We've we've been a little bit down on what you got from Ryan Johansson, but we feel with Lekkonen yeah. and Nachushkin on the on his wings, it's going to be good enough. Well, I think so, and you know, it, there's no law that says if you put those three together, that if they play 19, 20 minutes a night, that Johansson has to play nineteen or right. twenty minutes. Colton a can night. come up play and him center for twelve a bit minutes at night. More right? right. Uh, 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 play, play him twelve minutes a, a night. 13 minutes, whatever he deserves. Use him in face-off situations. He's still a good face-off man. Yeah, Colton's 27. I looked at the numbers over the uh, over the course of the season on face-offs for Johansson. They're not great, but they're over 50%. And for an Avalanche team that's not great at face-offs, that still matters. So it's, I, I, to me, it streamlines things. If you're the Avalanche, if you're Chris McFarland and you're Joe Sackick, I think now with this addition, you have to give it a little bit of time. You, you do have a little bit of time, another week or two, till really... You, things start percolating in the trade world, but it's going to be, I think streamlined as the Avs go get it. It's it's about going and getting goaltending depth. Yeah. And, and now they can focus all about that and say, well, what do we do? We need to fill this. Do we need to fill this? You've got Parise 20 goal score, even last year. So you know that he can do enough. Uh, you weren't going to be able to get a superstar guy. We've talked about the idea of getting Lindholm off the flames, but he's, he's a star yeah. and, and, and he's going to cost you. And the Avs have, Salary cap concerns, especially, by the way, if Gabriel Landeskog were to be activated at any point, you have to alter the salary wow. cap. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen. And if it did, you it don't wouldn't have to worry about until the, the postseason, and then the salary cap doesn't matter. Now, I don't, I, I, I just, I understand uh, Chris McFarland's 
statements and uh, he, they were very carefully couched. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect Landis got back. I, I don't I think either. that's pushing things. I don't expect him back for the playoffs. Um, I, I think the Avalanche are moving on that assumption. I also think, and I, I know there was a disclaimer over the weekend from Bednar on this, I think the Avalanche have a much, much, much better idea as to when the Shushkin will be back than yes. we do. Oh, I do too. Yes, I do. Despite do. the disclaimer over the weekend from Bednar that uh, we really don't know. And I, I think that... I, I think they know... I don't certainly think know more than we do. timing on when he went to there was accidental either knowing the All-Star break was going to be part of that. Well, sure. You, you know, you're, you're basically getting 10 days off. Right. Almost, almost 10 days off. And... It's not necessarily as needed as it might have been a few weeks ago, but it does play into the thinking on Nishushkin, I think, and the timing of the Nishushkin deal. And it also gives them a chance to reset. I think they know they're playing well, and they know why they're playing well, which is more important than I could watch and tell they're playing well. They right. know why they're playing well. And Bednar gave us a clue, as sometimes he does over the weekend. And I thought it was interesting that he mentioned not six, but eight defensemen he can trust. Yeah. Not six, eight. That would include Malinsky, who didn't play the other day when Johnson came back. And that includes Caleb Jones, who did not play the other day either. Eight defensemen, he said who are now playing together. And he didn't say this, but seem in some ways to be almost interchangeable. I mean, obviously, Taves and Picard are, are the big guys right now uh, and always will be, always have been, always will be. But Gerard and Manson are playing well together. Byram and Johnson were very good. Byram was plus three the other day against the Kings, even though he didn't get on the score sheet. And he and Johnson, Johnson played almost 17 minutes, and Byron played almost 19 minutes. That's your third defense pairing. Right, right. Keep in mind, uh, the trade deadline is March 8th, and even though you wouldn't think, we've mentioned the Wild, of course, with Parise, you wouldn't think that in-division trades are possible. Keep a very, very close eye on the Minnesota Wild and the Colorado Avalanche, as Marc-Andre Fleury, I think, will be the player the Avalanche would like to acquire behind Alexander so. Georgiev. It's more of a matter of if it can happen. Fleury also 39 years old, but I think adding Parise starts making these decisions much more clear for the Avalanche. We'll check in with them, of course, the course of the week. Uh, more than a few All-Stars will be there as well, but we'll turn our attention back to the Super Bowl with our friend Aaron Anderson from Fox 31. We'll get his thoughts and initial impressions on the big game next on Miley Sports. <laughs> 